Welcome to the Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care podcast. Why does this topic matter? One person in the United States dies from a drug overdose every six minutes. We as healthcare providers must do better to treat addiction, prevent overdoses, and improve the lives of our patients and their families. This podcast is designed to provide you with simple and evidence-based information on substance use disorders that you can use to take better care of your patients on your next shift. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Addiction in Emergency Medicine and Acute Care. Today's topic is going to be an introduction of how to use buprenorphine products for opiate dependence and withdrawal. And the medication here we're going to talk about is buprenorphine, and it often gets abbreviated as bup. So when I use the term bup, I'm referring to buprenorphine. And this is a combination of notes I've taken as I was learning how to use buprenorphine, as well as the California Bridge Buprenorphine Hospital Quick Start Guide, which I'll talk a little bit about in just a sec. And making a quick analogy here, I like to do martial arts. And the beginner belt in Taekwondo is a white belt. And there are various colors until you get to black belt, which is obviously an expert. And kind of a medium to advanced belt is a brown belt. And I'm not going to get you to a black belt in buprenorphine in this episode, but I will probably be able to get you a brown belt, meaning you can at least defend yourself or kind of use it in most situations if the analogy makes any sense. So the California Bridge Project, briefly, you can find out more information at cabridge.org. And it's a California-based, but expanding to other states and even countries, program designed to reduce barriers to treatment for substance use disorder. I am not directly affiliated with the California Bridge Program, but I do participate in some of their educational materials, and I do attend their webinars because they have a lot to teach me. It's a group of incredibly dedicated people, and there are two superstars that lead their program, two emergency physicians, Drs. Andrew Herring and Amy Moulin. And they're really leaders in addiction and emergency medicine, and this guide has been developed underneath their leadership. There are loads and loads of guides for various addiction treatment protocols and pathways on their website. As I've talked about, I really want to try to keep this podcast evidence-based, and so their buprenorphine hospital quick start guide actually has 16 references. So the bridge has already done the work for me on making sure that is, is evidence-based. So the first question when you're looking at buprenorphine is, who should I consider as a potential patient to treat with bup? And there's a couple of different answers, but the simplest one is basically any patient with opiate use disorder. And an older term for this would be opiate addiction. And what is that? According to the CDC, opioid use disorder results when attempts to cut down or control use are unsuccessful or when use results in social problems and a failure to fulfill obligations at work, school, and at home. Opioid use disorder often comes after the person has developed opioid tolerance and dependence, making it physically challenging to stop opioid use and increasing the risk of withdrawal. Now, what does that look like for us as clinicians? So the first is, is you have somebody who has opiates in their system and they might come to a clinic or an urgent care or us in the emergency department and say, I want help. So that's kind of situation one. Someone has opiates in their system, but they want help. The second is when somebody comes in in withdrawal and asks for help. And usually those people don't feel good. So we tend to see a lot of them in the emergency department. 
And then the third scenario is kind of more an acute care hospitalist uh, type presentation. And this is a patient who comes into the emergency department, has an admittable diagnosis like a cellulitis. We don't necessarily either know they're opiate dependent when they get admitted, or we do know they have an opiate use disorder when they get admitted and they go into withdrawal during the admission. And it might be that they develop symptoms kind of unexpectedly during admission and we have to treat it, or it's something where we need to anticipate they're going to go into withdrawal during admission. So again, when you're thinking of who should I be using buprenorphine in, patients with opiate use disorder. Now, one of my physicians in my group at my shop always likes to know the why. I'm more likely to be compliant, he says, if I know the why. So why is buprenorphine a good idea? Number one, it's extremely effective at treating opiate withdrawal. The second is it's also extremely effective at preventing overdose. And that's an overdose on anything as long as opioids are part of that overdose. And here's why. So buprenorphine is a mixed agonist antagonist at the opioid mu receptor with high affinity. What does that mean? When buprenorphine binds to the opiate receptor, it has high affinity, meaning it will bind tighter than other opioids. So if somebody uses heroin, when they have buprenorphine in their system, the heroin doesn't bind as tightly to the opiate receptor, so buprenorphine stays on that opiate receptor, and therefore the heroin doesn't really have much of an effect. The other thing is that because it's a mixed agonist-antagonist, there's actually a ceiling effect on respiratory depression meaning that you can take more and more and more buprenorphine, but you're not gonna have a respiratory arrest overdose because of the ceiling effect, because of this mixed agonist-antagonist physiology. And so if somebody drinks alcohol and combines opiates, that's an additive effect and they may have an overdose. If they combine buprenorphine and alcohol, there's less likely to be an overdose because of that ceiling effect of respiratory depression from buprenorphine. And then the other thing is that it's protective during relapses, again, because it is a mixed agonist antagonist. So we have a patient, we start on buprenorphine in the emergency department, they decide they want to go use heroin. When they shoot heroin, again, that heroin doesn't have much of an effect. So I've had actually most recently a family member bring their, their loved one into the emergency department and they said to me, Dr. Grover, I'm so glad she was on buprenorphine because it protected her from the heroin. And again, that just comes back to the fact that buprenorphine binds really tightly to the opioid receptor so that other opioids will not have an effect. Kind of thinking about long-term use of buprenorphine, it's actually great for preventing relapses. It maintains people with opiate use disorder in a steady state without withdrawal. And the way I think of it is addiction or a substance use disorder has both mental and physical components. It might be untreated anxiety or PTSD that leads to kind of some of the mental disruptions that make people kind of self-medicate, if you will, with substances. So if you come into the emergency department with a history of PTSD and anxiety and an opiate withdrawal, I can get your withdrawal better with buprenorphine, and then I can just kind of maintain you in a steady state where you don't get sick or have withdrawal while you work on the mental issues that underlie your substance use disorder. Another reason why buprenorphine is very helpful is it's less euphoric than other opioids, so it's great for maintaining people with opioid disorder. And when people are on buprenorphine long-term with opioid disorder, they have decreased cravings. So kind of a whole slew of reasons why buprenorphine is a really, really effective medication 
that we should be using very aggressively for patients with opioid disorder. The next question is how do I actually start it? What are the nuts and bolts? How does this work? So the first thing is that in order to start it, if a person is dependent on opioids, we have to wait until they are in withdrawal before we start it. We'll get into why in just a sec. How do we know if people are in withdrawal? Well, like alcohol withdrawal, there's actually a clinical opioid withdrawal scale, and it's called COWS, C-O-W-S, and that's actually available on MDCalc. It's really useful because you can get a sense of how severe a patient is when it comes to their withdrawal, and it's really similar to the alcohol withdrawal scale. The California Bridge guidelines recommend waiting till a patient has a score over eight before you actually go ahead and start buprenorphine. The other approach, and it takes a little more experience as a clinician to be able to do this, is just to ask the patient, are you in withdrawal? Are you ready for another dose of opiates? Would you be craving because you're sick? Or would you go out and get a pill? Or would you go smoke some heroin? Um, and I'll talk about why asking them is a little bit more complicated in just a second. But kind of those are my two ways I approach this. Number one, a little more algorithmic, look at the Cal score start the medication when they've got a score over eight, consistent with mild to moderate withdrawal, or just ask the patient, are you in withdrawal? So that follow-up question, why does the patient have to be in withdrawal? Well, it turns out buprenorphine has an extremely high affinity for the opiate mu receptor. If you give buprenorphine to patients when they have opiates in their system, because of the high affinity, it will displace any opioids on the mu receptor and precipitate a withdrawal. In fact, you can actually reverse an opioid overdose with a buprenorphine product. This precipitated withdrawal is extremely challenging to treat. There are some good options, but that's a topic for a whole nother podcast episode. So bottom line, if they are not in withdrawal, don't start buprenorphine or you can precipitate withdrawal. There's also a ton of different formulations of buprenorphine, and we're going to focus on the two most common that are generic and therefore covered by more insurances or have a relatively low cash price. The first one is just the buprenorphine monoproduct. The brand name that most people know is called Subutex. The second is buprenorphine combined with naloxone, and the brand name that most people know here is called Suboxone. And the reason why buprenorphine is combined with naloxone is even though buprenorphine is not really a drug of abuse, the naloxone deters people from doing things like crushing up their pills and injecting them or melting down their pills and injecting them. And on the street, most people call these subs. So you can ask a patient, have you been on subs before? These two formulations, the generic buprenorphine and the buprenorphine naloxone are given as a sublingual tablet. If the patient swallows them, they will not get absorbed and they won't get any medication. I've had a number of cases where someone's in withdrawal and I keep giving them a dose of bup and they're not getting better and I can't figure it out and I go to the bedside, ask the patient, how are you taking it? And they go, oh yeah, I've been swallowing it like the nurse told me. And I just realized that it's not that intuitive. Most medications are just taken orally. The other thing is that it can actually take a few minutes to absorb. So when you're ordering it, whether it's as a home prescription, whether it's as a medication in the hospital, whether it's as a medication in the emergency department, teach the patient, teach the nurses, must be absorbed under the tongue, and it can take several minutes. I've heard as long as 10 minutes to fully absorb. Now, the next question is, 
how do I actually start this medication? What dose do I start with? How do I do it? How do I monitor for withdrawal? And I'll give you a couple of different options here. The American Society of Addiction Medicine recommends a start low and go slow strategy. And they recommend starting with two to four milligrams of either the monoproduct buprenorphine or the combined product buprenorphine naloxone, and then wait and see. If they feel better, you can slowly increase the dose and basically titrate to when their withdrawal is relieved. What the California Bridge Guidelines recommend and what I do in my practice is I start everyone who I think is a candidate, meaning they have opiate use disorder and they're in withdrawal, is I start them with eight milligrams unless they're really new to opioids. And I'll give you an example. I had a 17-year-old girl who just recently started street pills, which in my area are fentanyl. She'd only been using for about a month, so I went a little bit lower because she was less experienced and I gave her four milligrams. But anybody who's progressed to shooting heroin or you know has advanced opiate use disorder, eight milligrams is a great starting dose. I then follow the ASAM recommendations that as they get better, I will increase the dose. For example, patient comes in, doc, I'm you know kicking heroin, can you help me? No problem. We'll give you eight milligrams of buprenorphine. If you feel better, we'll give you another eight milligrams. Doc, I feel pretty good, we'll stop at 16. The other thing is you can just ask people, how much did you take? What was your dose? They know. Many people are actually self-detoxing on the street when buprenorphine is diverted, which we'll talk about at the end of the episode. Whether you start low and go slow, or you start with eight milligrams, you wanna start whatever dose you're gonna start, and then cycle back in like 30 minutes and see how they feel. If they feel better, yes, this is opioid withdrawal, and you can continue to increase the dose of buprenorphine until they feel better. As I said, they feel better with eight, try another eight. Once they're feeling pretty good, you can stop. For the emergency department, and also probably for the hospitalist folks uh, when they're doing admission, if somebody's had a shorter admission, when you go to discharge them, it's actually pretty easy to just kind of allow them to self-titrate. Um, my standard prescription is eight milligrams TID PRN withdrawal, meaning if they feel like they're withdrawing, they can take eight milligrams and then a second eight milligrams. And if they're really having trouble, they can take a third dose. Most people that I prescribe eight milligrams TID only end up using about eight once a day or eight twice a day. But if I don't actually help someone get out of withdrawal, they're not going to believe in this medication and they're going to go back to using whatever they're using. And in my area, this is all illicit fentanyl and the risk of overdose, particularly fatal overdose, is really high. So I want them to be as successful as they can be on my first attempt. In general, best practice is one dose a day as multiple doses can sometimes mimic the kind of frequent dosing of opiate abuse, like using heroin three to four times a day. So let's say they stabilize on eight milligrams, eight milligrams once a day would be great. Sometimes people need to do it more than once a day and that's okay, like eight milligrams in the morning and eight milligrams in the evening. And if somebody also has comorbid pain, actually multiple doses throughout the day can be more effective because buprenorphine being an opioid does also treat pain. So summing that all up, what do I do on shift in the emergency department? If someone's in opioid withdrawal, I give them eight milligrams. If they feel better, I stop. If they still feel sick but are better after the first dose, I titrate with increasing doses until they feel better. And then I usually discharge them on a prescription of eight milligrams TID or BID PRN withdrawal. I usually give them about two weeks so they can get into a follow-up clinic. And we'll talk about follow-up a little bit down the podcast. There are so many formulations. So, you know, which should I choose? We're going to focus on an introduction to buprenorphine. 
So we're really just going to focus on two formulations, which can do probably 90% of what you need in the hospital, urgent care, or ED. So there is buprenorphine monoproduct. It comes as a tablet. People often refer to it as Subutex. And the tablets come as either 2 milligrams or 8 milligrams. The buprenorphine naloxone product, also known as Suboxone, comes as tablets or strips. Again, all of this is sublingual. My experience is that the strips are a little bit easier to dissolve sublingual, and the dosing is listed as the dose of buprenorphine slash the dose of naloxone. So there's two milligrams, 0.5 milligrams, and then there's the bigger dose, eight milligrams slash two milligrams. And fortunately, and the reason why I'm focusing on this is that the buprenorphine monoproduct and the buprenorphine naloxone are interchangeable. So eight of the so-called subutex is the same as eight of the so-called taboxone. So people can go back and forth. Now, there are loads of other formulations that have very different dosing regimens and bioavailability. Butrans is transdermal, Belbuca, Subsolve, Bonavail. They're totally different. They get absorbed differently. Don't even worry about those. If someone says, hey, I'm on Subsolve, you can at least recognize the name. But the easiest one and probably 95% of my prescriptions are the buprenorphine or the buprenorphine naloxone. And that really gets you what you need. Somebody after surgery getting admitted to the hospital, pretty easy to start the sublingual dosing. If you have someone who's more complicated, you can always get some expert consultation, and I'll talk about some resources there as well. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. We've outlined who's a candidate, how does it work, what do we do? The next section we're going to shift to is what are my pitfalls? What do I need to watch out for? And I'm going to go through a couple of these. Number one. Patients not being in withdrawal. This goes back to that phenomenon of precipitated withdrawal. You've got to tell your patient, we need to be sure you're in withdrawal. Let them know if they're in withdrawal, you can make them feel better. If they're not, they will feel worse. And sometimes we actually just kind of have to watch people a little bit in the emergency department to wait until they're in withdrawal. You can even send them home and bring them back. We also can actually even do inductions at home which we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode. But again, number one pitfall, if you try to give this to someone who's not in withdrawal, you're gonna make them feel worse. Pitfall number two is that they're having withdrawal symptoms from other causes. These could be medical. Infectious symptoms can cause nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, body aches, flu-like illnesses, COVID, gastroenteritis. So make sure that they're truly in withdrawal as the cause of their symptoms. Sometimes it takes a little bit of testing to figure this out. Sometimes people come in, they're like, Doc, I am kicking heroin and I am miserable. You got to help me. The other thing is that people can be in withdrawal from other substances or they can be in withdrawal from multiple substances. As an example, benzo withdrawal or alcohol withdrawal can look a lot like opiate withdrawal. Nausea, vomiting, body aches, chills, feeling generally horrible. I even had one case where a patient came in stating she was using heroin and was withdrawing, and I kept giving her bup, and I kept giving her bup, and I kept giving her bup, couldn't get her better, put her in the OBS unit. The next day, the provider let me know, hey, you know, Grover, she was withdrawing from Soma. Oh, well, that's why the bup didn't work. So I actually come in and I say, you know, look, hey, I got to know what's in your system. I'm not going to judge you. I'm still going to offer you treatment, but I've got to know what's in your system. If I don't know what's in your system, I may not be able to give you the right medication and I just want you to feel better. Same thing like at the beginning, just trying to clarify with patients that you're trying to make them feel better so you need the best information that they can give to you. All right, 
Pitfall number three is methadone. Methadone and buprenorphine do not mix well. Basically, methadone has an extremely long half-life. Anytime you start buprenorphine after methadone, because of methadone's long half-life, there's a risk that you can cause precipitated withdrawal. For reference, short-acting opiates like a hydrocodone are usually out of a person's system within about 12 hours. Longer-acting opiates like OxyContin or MSContin are usually out of a person's system within 24 hours. Methadone at high doses can be in a person's system for over a week. Now, the California Bridge Guide says it's okay to start buprenorphine if there's been no methadone within 72 hours, but that's not been my experience. And when I did a little research, it looks like it's only true when people are on low doses of methadone, like 30 milligrams a day or less. We see people with ridiculously high methadone doses, like 90 milligrams or 160 milligrams a day. Those people can have methadone in their system up to about two weeks. So I ask people 100%, have you been on methadone? And again, reassure them, you will still treat them, but if they have methadone in their system, they may not be a candidate right away for buprenorphine. The other thing you can do is our hospital actually has a basic urine tox, which is a urine tox eight, and then it has a slightly more complicated urine tox, which is a urine tox nine, which is for methadone. So you also can just get a urine tox, and if there's methadone in their system detectable, they're not a candidate for buprenorphine. You could then bring them back in a few days and retest them, and if they're negative for methadone, that would be an okay time to start. All right, our fourth pitfall, liver disease. The package insert says, not recommended in patients with severe hepatic impairment. I guess there's been some case reports of a cytolytic hepatitis. There are some recommendations, such as from the American Society of Addiction Medicine, that you shouldn't use it when there's an AST or ALT greater than five times the upper limit of normal. But really, the practical answer is, the fentanyl on the street is gonna kill them with an overdose faster than the buprenorphine is gonna cause liver problems. So the California Bridge guidelines and my practice is I don't worry about liver disease. I just treat them and then, you know, longer term, they may need to be on something different or have a dose adjustment, but that's not your problem in the hospital or in the ED. We just need to get them stabilized off their street opiates. So again, the official answer we should use with caution with hepatic disease, but the practical answer is just induce them on buprenorphine will deal with the liver function issues down the road. The California Bridge Guideline does not state that this is a contraindication to starting buprenorphine. It is also, given the comorbid incidence of hep C and IV drug users, okay to use this in somebody who has known hep C. Our fifth pitfall is that for patients coming into the emergency department and that are getting admitted to the hospital with impending surgery, buprenorphine is a tough choice because, again, of that high binding affinity with a mixed agonist antagonist physiology, meaning once the patient's on buprenorphine, other opioids really will not have much of an effect. Fentanyl binds tightly enough to the opiate receptor that you can actually get some effect with fentanyl, even if buprenorphine's in their system. But if you're really worried about post-operative pain management, it may be a better idea to delay induction with buprenorphine until the acute painful episode is better. So I'll give you an example. Patient comes in using intravenous heroin. They have a large abscess requiring a surgical IND. It might be that we treat them with something like fentanyl or morphine to treat their withdrawal and pain, and then postoperatively, as they get through their postoperative pain, we can then transition them from a short-acting opioid like immediate-release morphine to buprenorphine in anticipation of discharge. 
You may want to get expert consultation like at my hospital that's going to be an addiction medicine consult. You may also want to talk with anesthesia about coordinating care. Don't forget that buprenorphine can be extremely effective for pain. So when combining it with a multimodal regimen such as gabapentinoids, NSAIDs, and acetaminophen, it might actually be a really effective post-operative pain management strategy. The last issue, which is relatively minor, is that in pregnancy, the buprenorphine monoproduct is the preferred treatment rather than the buprenorphine naloxone, but buprenorphine is considered safe in pregnancy. And absolutely every mother that's using street opiates needs to be on buprenorphine. Oh my gosh, that is so high risk. Okay, we've covered a ton of topics. We're starting to get a good knowledge base on how to use buprenorphine. What if you have questions on shift? What are some resources that you have to be able to get help when you need it? The first is, is if you have a local hospital-based addiction medicine doctor, ask her or him. Some hospitals have addiction services that can do consultations, extremely helpful. If in your community, there's a local provider in a clinic-based setting who prescribes buprenorphine, she or he also would be a great resource. Maybe you could do a quick phone call or a secure text message. In the state of California, actually you can call poison control and the poison control clinicians will help you with buprenorphine. In California, we also have a substance use hotline, 844-326-2626, which is available 24 seven to help you as a clinician figure out how to get through these difficult questions with buprenorphine when they come up. And then nationally, there's actually a National Clinician Consultation Center warm line, 855-300-3595. That's available to any clinician across the US. It's seven days per week, 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. I'm not sure the time zone, but we can look that up. And that's a great resource. So bottom line, you don't have to do this on your own after you listen to my podcast. Ask your colleagues, talk to poison control, and talk to hotlines. There are loads of resources available to you. Getting into the home stretch here. Where can I use this medication? Clinic, ED, inpatient, where should I be thinking about this? So the first is really at home. And this is somebody for me in the emergency department who comes in and says, Doc, I'm using heroin, I wanna stop, I'm not in withdrawal now. So we can do what's called a home induction. These are patients who come to the emergency department, they're not in withdrawal. I usually just give them a prescription, eight milligrams BID to TID PR in withdrawal. These patients have to be able to tolerate mild withdrawal at home. Yes, you can give them Zofran. And they need to be able to follow instructions. You wanna give them instructions to say, wait till you're in mild withdrawal, put it under your tongue, don't swallow it. And again, you want to start when you're in mild to moderate withdrawal. The next option is to do it in the ED or in an observation unit. We can do this basically for patients who are in withdrawal or who come into the ED and aren't in withdrawal and don't feel like they can do it themselves. These are patients who are going to need some supervision and may not be able to follow instructions. In the ED or in that OBS unit, Wait until that cow score is an eight or greater, and then you can go ahead and induce them on the buprenorphine. The next option would be the inpatient setting. We talked about this at the very beginning of the podcast. Somebody comes in with cellulitis or an abscess, they're getting admitted, and they need to be induced because they're going to withdraw. Once they're admitted, calculate that cow score. You can even create a protocol like for alcohol withdrawal scales, and when that cow score gets to eight, you can go ahead and start the buprenorphine. 
What if you have somebody who's a heavy alcohol user that's at high risk for alcohol withdrawal or is in alcohol withdrawal and is also an opiate withdrawal? That might be somebody that you admit for kind of a multi-withdrawal management. For us at our hospital, we have inpatient chemical dependency and we can admit there, but this is a really complicated patient. The likelihood that they're gonna do well at home is very low. So this may be something that you talk to the hospitalist for alcohol withdrawal management and you work some buprenorphine into their treatment regimen as you figure out how to manage their withdrawal. The other thing would be somebody who comes in who's got bipolar, who's depressed, who's suicidal. They can't go home. They need psychiatric stabilization. They're opiate dependent. We can induce them on buprenorphine while they're admitted. So just to recap here, basically three scenarios where we'd be inducing people inpatient. Number one, they have a high-risk withdrawal syndrome in addition to opiate withdrawal. Number two, they're getting admitted for a medical reason and they can be induced while they're inpatient. And number three, they require psychiatric hospitalization and they can get induced while they're under the care of psychiatry. Now, all of this is fantastic. We've talked about getting patients onto buprenorphine, whether it's the ED, OBS unit, or inpatient. But what happens after they leave the hospital or ED? I like to think that they need a landing pad, meaning we get them launched onto buprenorphine therapy, but where are they gonna go? If they don't have anywhere to go to continue their prescription, they're gonna go back to their use of street opiates or whatever else they've been using. So we really need to refer them to a prescriber or a treatment program. Now, unfortunately, this medication is restricted. There is something called an X waiver, also called a DATA waiver, in that you have to fill out paperwork in order to be able to prescribe it for greater than 72 hours. So let's kind of go into the nuts and bolts here. If I am Dr. Jones and I don't have my X waiver, I can prescribe buprenorphine in the emergency department but cannot prescribe a discharge. I can only manage the acute withdrawal in my department. If I'm Dr. Brown and I'm a hospitalist and I'm admitting the patient, I can prescribe in the hospital three days of buprenorphine to manage withdrawal. But after that, I need a provider with an X waiver to take over and I can't provide a discharge prescription. Only that X waivered prescriber can do it. So bottom line, acute care physicians and emergency physicians without their X waiver can manage withdrawal in the ED or physically in the hospital up to three days. Afterwards, an X waiver physician has to take over prescribing and prescribe discharge medications. Now the fantastic news it used to be that the X waiver took eight hours of training for physicians and 24 hours of training for PAs and NPs just to get this waiver. As of this month, May 2021, that all changed. No training needed. Just go to the SAMHSA website and you can fill out the application to get your X waiver and you can start as soon as that waiver is granted. The way it actually works is you get a second DEA number. And that DEA number is going to start with an X. And when you prescribe a discharge buprenorphine, you're going to give the pharmacy that X DEA number. So my DEA starts with FG. My X waiver is XG. The website is https colon forward slash forward slash buprenorphine.samsa.gov forward slash forms forward slash select dash practitioner dash type dot PHP. And honestly, a Google search for SAMHSA buprenorphine waiver probably is going to do it. And for anyone who doesn't know, SAMHSA is spelled S-A-M-H-S-A. That's one of the government agencies supervising substance abuse and mental health. So once again, 
if you are discharging a patient from the ED or hospital on buprenorphine, maybe a colleague has helped you write a script, they need to be referred to a clinic so they have a landing pad after we induce them on buprenorphine so they don't go back to their old opiate use. And once you have your X waiver, I recommend you give people two weeks, at least in my area, getting people follow-up isn't rapid. Sometimes they may have to come back to the emergency department for a refill. And yes, that's annoying. And yes, it's a lousy use of resources. But unfortunately, because of this silly X waiver, we don't have enough prescribers of buprenorphine. Turns out when France actually just got rid of any restrictions on prescribing buprenorphine for their physicians, national heroin overdose deaths dropped enormously. So really it's in the government's best interest to get rid of this X waiver altogether. And there's definitely an X the X movement. Hopefully in a future podcast, I'll be giving you the great news that the X waiver is gone. But for now, we gotta deal with the X waiver. If you have it, help your colleagues. If your colleague is starting a patient on buprenorphine, help them with the dosing and offer to write a script. You can even see the patient yourself, say hi, and let them know that you're there to help them. Again, I usually give people about a two-week prescription and then always co-prescribe naloxone. Tell patients, I'm gonna give you some naloxone. You can always save a friend's life. I try not to tell people I'm prescribing it for them. I don't wanna add stigma there, but I think we all know, and ASEP certainly recommends, that's the American College of Emergency Physicians, ASEP, that we need to be giving these people naloxone to prevent overdoses. All right, home stretch. Last little bit of nuts and bolts. What else do you need to know? Number one, emergency physicians can actually bill for induction of patients with opiate use disorder on buprenorphine. It's similar to smoking cessation where you basically document what you did and what you talked about and how many minutes. And in our group, we actually made a smart phrase in Epic. And the billing code is G2213. And that code description is initiation of medication for the treatment of opiate use disorder in the emergency department setting, including assessment, referral to ongoing care, and arranging access to supportive services. The government actually wants to help you get patients off illicit opiates or prescription opiates that are being misused to get people on buprenorphine. They're willing to pay you for that service. The next question is what if my patient is lying to me and is gonna divert the medication? Well, absolutely. Buprenorphine has street value. The literature on this would suggest that when buprenorphine is diverted, it's bought by people on the street who want to detox and get off opioids. People know how to get heroin. If they wanna get high, they will find an opiate on the street that is more euphoric than buprenorphine. If you're somebody with opiate use disorder and you're trying to get buprenorphine on the street, it's because you want to either treat your withdrawal or you want to try to get off opiates altogether. Obviously, we want to try to lengthen the treatment. The system is not perfect, but just realize if somebody's diverting the buprenorphine that you're giving them, generally speaking, it goes to people who want to get off opioids or are managing their own withdrawal. I personally am very liberal with buprenorphine prescriptions. I think it helps prevent overdoses even if it's being diverted. Last point is don't forget when people are in withdrawal, they feel sick. You can use other medications like ondansetron, acetaminophen, dicyclamine, and ibuprofen in addition to buprenorphine to help them feel better. And one last point, just a quick reminder. I've used a couple of terms interchangeably and I wanted to clarify that buprenorphine comes as a tablet or a strip the strip can also be called a film. They're used interchangeably. 
Both of them are used sublingually. The generic buprenorphine alone comes as a tablet only, while the buprenorphine naloxone product comes as a tablet or film. All right, that's it. Super long episode, but hopefully very helpful. This is an extremely important issue. You can save a life. Don't forget, going back to episode one, treating patients with opiate use disorder with buprenorphine can reduce deaths from opioid use disorder by as much as 80%. You can save a life. Thanks for listening.